Welcome to The Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. I'm always amazed at the goodness of God. It shouldn't be. We should take it every day as something normal in our lives, but the goodness of God, when he just interrupts what we're doing and just makes himself known. And what I'm going to share today, I walked in here this morning and the guys on stage were singing the song we've just sung, you're turning over tables and calling for return to our lives upon the altar, the things we did at first. You're clearing out the temple, you're cleaning out the dirt, for we are your territory. Lord, we are your church. We re-surrender. I think the words of that song are a complete sermon on their own. We could sing that a few times and go home and it would be the summary of what I feel God has put on my heart today. I'm going to speak on the subject of the imperfect church. The imperfect church. I've been in ministry for around 35 years and there's never been a time when the church hasn't been under attack both from within and without. A friend of mine I went to school with, he goes, I'm not coming to church, you know. uh, They're all hypocrites in church. I said, well, why don't you come as well and join us? One more won't hurt. But, you know, he laughed. Church is for hypocrites. And it's because people don't have a clear understanding of what the church is. And this morning, I'd like to bring some clarity. In these times when we're seeing things on TV, we're hearing stuff about pastors that fall and celebrity culture. And if you go on the internet, there's so much even attack within the church world of each other. And so you would be forgiven today for thinking, what's going on? And so I want to address it today from the real loving heart, but also to equip us when we're talking to people. Over many years, we've created this idea, and the church is at fault for this in some ways, that church is for the good people, and the people outside the church are bad people. And so when people outside the church see people in the church do stuff they shouldn't be doing, they go, but you're supposed to be a Christian. Why are you doing that? Because they think that we project ourselves as better than anyone outside. And that's why many today struggle with church but don't have a major issue with God. Sometimes they don't put the two together. And sadly today in our Western culture, even in the many parts of the church, there's a big gap between God and what the church is. The church will never be perfect But the church should be made up of a people that admit they are broken, but open, going on a journey of growing into the person God enabled us to be or desired for us to be. It's not perfection, it's direction. It's understanding we're all broken. When I pastored my church, I used to say a lot, I'm only one decision away from becoming a total idiot. And so, you know, it's, uh, we're all one step away. I remember one time visiting a man in Yatla prison who had done an incredibly bad act once in his life, lost his temper and did something he shouldn't have done. And he was in his 70s, a good man that made a mistake and now paying for it for the rest of his life. And I know that as Christians, we're not perfect, but there is a journey we must go on. Right from the birth of the church, we see a clear picture in the Bible of the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
What I love about the Bible is it doesn't protect the things that go wrong. It exposes them. And when you go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you'll see that God always, and Jesus in the New Testament, addressed the things that needed to be addressed. In the book of Acts, Pentecostals talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and the power falling. In Acts chapter 2, incredible moving of the Holy Spirit. By the time they got to chapter 5, they're all fighting. They're arguing and fighting on who's going to serve the poor people and who's going to do ministry. And in chapter 5, a couple died, Ananias and Sapphira, for presenting themselves as one thing and they were another and they died on the spot. And you think, man, that's pretty serious. But we go all the way to the book of Revelation and there are seven churches in the book of Revelation that Jesus addresses. And he says, look, you guys are awesome at this, this and this. But this is the thing you need to address. He addressed them. There's only one church, the church of Philadelphia, that had been through so much persecution and had been through so much pain that they just surrendered to God in their pain. He had nothing bad to say about them. But our Western version of church in the Western culture doesn't always reflect the Bible description of what church should be. So I'm prophesying now this morning what I believe God is doing right now because for the last seven years, this stuff has been coming to me over and over and over again. I know when God speaks and I know when it's just my ideas. And I'm going to read an opening scripture and then we're going to go to the main scripture in just a moment in Luke 12 verses 1 to 3. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Can you imagine Jesus having a crowd around him where they're all walking over the top of each other to get to him? If we were Jesus, we would make sure we would pick a subject that would be nice. We would preach something that wouldn't hurt the crowd. We would preach something that wouldn't upset the crowd. Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy, the time is coming where everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made to, known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Beware of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. If you look up that word hypocrisy in the Greek language, it means to be an actor on a stage. And I believe there's much in church world today that's been a performance trying to give people the enjoyment they need from a good talk. You know, we're not meant to be in church and give TED Talks. The Word of God is powerful and it transforms us and we have to know it in its context. And so right now, God is dealing with the church, but it's the most beautiful thing I'm seeing right now. I want to tell you the best days for the church are ahead of us because when you are... Yeah, come on. Thank you. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. You see, when Jesus said he was going to build his church, he didn't say, if you all go on strike, call the unions in, we'll fix this up. Or I'm not going to build anymore. How many builders build houses and then they go off and go into bankruptcy? Jesus is the master builder who said, I will build my church, not might build my church. And I want to tell you, he ain't going to build it our way. He's going to build it his way. And right now he's getting our attention all over, especially in the Western world. So what I want to do right now is go to the church in 1 Corinthians. 
And when you go to the church in 1 Corinthians, you see some crazy stuff. People go, oh, the church, they do this. Well, you ought to go and have a look at this one. And I'm going to give you four steps that I believe may bring some clarity. Number one, our position in Christ. Number two, our potential in Christ. Number three, the promise of Christ. And we have to have number four, the practice of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be His own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as He did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I always, verse 4, thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts He's given you now that you belong to Jesus Christ. Through Him, God has enriched your church in every way with all eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong till the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this. For he is faithful to do what he says. And he's invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is awesome. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels. My dear brothers and sisters, some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. I'm a follower of Tony. I'm a follower of Danny. I'm a follower of the CCC and I'm a follower of the APC or whatever. I follow Peter. And some go, we follow Christ. But when you look at this, we see that their position in Christ, the first statement, is that we are made holy the minute Christ comes within us. The minute we receive Christ, we have a position in Christ that when we muck up and things happen, God doesn't judge us by us, but by His Son who has stood in our place. And just as if we had never sinned, positionally, we are in Christ. And that's the beautiful grace of God. That he comes. A lot of people pray a sinner's prayer and receive Jesus, but they don't know how to respond to Jesus because the receiving's got to be more than a mental assent. Yeah. Receiving Jesus is letting him in yeah. and letting him become the life coach of our lives, letting him become the mentor. Yeah. I'm not saying this boastfully, but right now I am mentoring every day of my life. Hardly anyone mentored me in my generation. But I want to say this, the Bible has always been my mentor. The Word of God and Jesus Christ and my relationship with Him has been my mentor. People are texting me right now going, how do you feel about all the rubbish that's going on in the church? I said, I feel great. I don't walk with the rubbish, I walk with Jesus. And because I walk with Jesus and His Word doesn't mean I don't have rubbish in my life, but there's a way to deal with it. But our position in Christ, when we receive Christ, is just like we'd never sinned. So if we die the day after we give our lives to Christ and we've still got a lot of rubbish in our lives, we still got to be with the Lord because we've received the free gift of salvation. 
But we also, when we receive that gift, God puts potential in us. And it says, through Him, God has enriched your church in every way. I always thank God for you and the gracious gifts He has given you. Not only is our position in Christ secure, our potential in Christ is secure. God doesn't put stuff in us that we can't activate. He puts stuff in us that He equips us to activate. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help us do it. And the third thing is the promise of Christ in verse 8 and 9. He will keep you strong to the end. But number four, the practice of Christ. And I don't have time this morning. But if you read every chapter after chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, boy, there's some stuff going on. You've got a guy having an affair with his stepmother in 1 Corinthians 5. You've got people taking each other to court in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6, or chapter 6, sorry. In chapter 7, the whole sexual issue. It's all there. So you say, how come they are holy? At the beginning of 1 Corinthians, because you're God's holy people. But then the way you're behaving is nothing like your position because your practice is different than your position. Now, many years ago, and for some of you that are new Christians, we used to use two words, justification and sanctification. Justification means the minute you surrender to God, it's just like you've never sinned. Jesus stands in your place. Sanctification is taking where you are on a journey to become what you've already become, if you know what I mean by that. We've been, we've been accepted by Christ. We don't do good to get Christ's approval. We grow to be who He made us to be because we have His approval. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. I remember one day when I got to 1 Corinthians 5 and this guy's having an affair with his stepmother and the congregation was all cool with it. If you go and read it in 1 Corinthians 5, they actually thought they were really good, that this guy was being loved on no matter what. And it actually says they needed to deal with it, but they didn't because then it infects everything. And, uh, you know, I said to God in prayer, I said, we don't do that today. That might have happened in the Bible but it doesn't happen today. He goes, yes, it does. He said, you call it grace. Sometimes what we call grace is cheap grace and it's disgrace because God doesn't grace us. He didn't die on a cross so he can just let us go and be what we always were. He died on a cross and shed his blood so there would be transformation in our lives. And that's called sanctification. And what it means is we are saved, we're secure. We know we know God, but now we need to be made like Jesus. And so God takes us on a journey. And on that journey of sanctification, we do make some mistakes. Listen to this, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, but if you do sin, there's someone to plead for you before the Father. When we become Christians, we stop lifestyle sinning but we still make mistakes. And so we don't sin as a lifestyle. We don't just say, well, that's, that's who I am. I'm just going to keep living like this. These are my vices. No, we don't sin, but occasionally we get caught up. We fall, we slip. And, and this passage of Scripture says, don't sin. But if you do, there's a God that will help you. 
Can you see the balance of God taking us on a journey, understanding that journey, but also taking us from a place where we win right from the start and to take us to make us like Jesus. And so people judge the church within and without expecting perfection. But the fact is our direction is not all the same at the same time. I might be at a stage of breaking through and some of you might be at a stage where you might be breaking down. We're all at different levels at different times and we slip in and out. And so to judge the church and expect them to be perfect is a great act of hypocrisy of those that do the judging. I really, and I know this is being recorded and it's online, but I struggle with the media when they point the finger at everybody but are not open to be scrutinised themselves. And I think, you know, we've got to be really careful. These days on social media, nobody does anything right. Everybody gets pulled apart. The fact is, we all do good and we all do bad. And we need to be sanctified so the good overtakes the bad and it becomes the leader in our lives. I call it the uh-uh of the Holy Spirit. When I go through life and I'm about to touch something that's not right, uh-uh, uh-uh. That's the love of God. That's not the control freaking of God. That's the love of God who cares about me. Like a parent says to a kid, don't put your hand on the stove. You're going to burn your hand. Because today we have this cancel culture that cancels everything. Don't you tell me what to do. My truth is my truth. And sadly, the world is falling apart because we don't understand this incredible God of ours who says, listen, I'm going to pay the price for you. I'm going to set it all up for you. I'm going to grace you with my power. But you choose because you're not a robot. And you choose how you're going to live. And I will equip you. So if we say we are saved and there's no desire to follow God or do what He wants us to do, I have to question whether we're really saved. Because being saved isn't just praying a prayer. It's got to be a revelation on the inside of us that goes, why? I need God. I'm broken. People are leaving the church by the thousands because they got abused by the church. Did you join the church or did you join Jesus Christ? Because when you join Jesus Christ, you'll see the imperfection in the church. And you don't expect perfection from the church because you don't expect it from yourself. And so I believe right now people are confused and I'll tell you why I'm not tossed. I've never been more excited is because what's happening right now that you see on television around the world, what's happening in mega churches, all that kind of stuff, I think it's fantastic. And I'll tell you why. It's predicted by God. The Bible predicts this is going to happen. People go, how do you know God is real? Well, just look at the things he predicted were going to happen. And the Bible, and it did happen in the Bible. And it did happen not just now, it happened back then. But it's predicted that these things are going to happen and it will take me another five messages to cover that. But not only is it predicted, it's so God can bring protection. God is wanting to protect His church, not a bash His church. He's trying to protect His church from doing the wrong thing. And so He protects us by restoring back to His church His pattern. It's predicted, it's for protection, and it's to build his pattern. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, it says this, But there will also be false teachers in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies, 
and even deny the masters who brought them this uh, brought them in this way they will bring sudden destruction on themselves now listen to this many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality and because of these teachers the way of truth will be slandered in their greed they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money but God condemned them long ago and their destruction will be delayed there are seven false teachers that are going to come up in the last days all through the New Testament, and one day we'll talk about it. Seven false teachers. And you know what it is? When I was in Bible school, they used to say, the girls, the gold, and the glory. And it's not much different today. Money and morals are always follow on from unbiblical teaching. When the church gets unbiblical in its teaching and takes a truth and blows it to extreme and makes it the whole truth, I don't know how many of you like ice cream here today, but if I was to give you ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, after a while, you'd get sick. But in the modern Western church, we just want good talks that encourage us to be great people and to be behavior modification. This is not behavior modification. Being a better person by doing these 10 things ain't gonna cut the mustard. It's surrendering to Jesus and letting the uh -uh of the Holy Spirit take you on a journey and bring transformation where he needs to come. Thank you. So sadly, when scandals hit the headlines, the whole church gets attacked. The people that are doing the good stuff get attacked. I remember Billy Graham once taught, telling the story when he landed into London and he was uh, addressed because Jimmy Swaggart, many of you wouldn't even know who he is today, had fallen morally and so they started attacking him and saying, you know, how do you feel? And, uh, and um, what's his name? Billy Graham turned around and said, how many aeroplanes take off from this airport every day? Do you know there's four million people in the sky right now? Four million people in the sky at any given moment. But we don't think about it until one crashes. And Pastor Tony mentioned it last week as well. And you know there are thousands of leaders around the world laying down their lives, serving people, giving up possible careers to go to the mission field and put their lives on. The church, so we don't realise that the larger number of Christians are, are not in the Western world. They're in countries where they don't have a lot of money and there is poverty and, and yet they never deny Christ. Try, try, we worry about COVID when there's millions of Christians in China that can be murdered for their faith, meeting underground. And so when scandals happen, people are there, another one goes. I remember when Jimmy Swaggart fell, I wasn't going to use this, but I will. What had happened, it was around about 1986, something like that, I'm trying to think of the time. And for some reason, I'd forgotten to register my car. So I was driving an unregistered car, my Falcon XE. And I was driving down Paynham Road and got pulled up by the police. My daughter was sitting next to me. It was a bench seat. So I had my little daughter, she would have been about three. And the police pulled over and she freaked out. She goes, don't take my daddy to jail. <laughs> and I didn't, I wasn't speeding. So I thought, what have I done? And I had re-registered my car, just forgot, mistake, paperwork. And I had to go to Holden Hill and had to go to court. And I had to be in a courtroom where the magistrate or whoever he was, there was thieves and people that had 
committed all kinds of acts and I'm one of the prisoners there, you know. And as I got up on the stand, the guy says to me, oh, Pastor Danny, another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. And I thought, flip, I forgot to pay my rego. I didn't mean to. And all of a sudden, as soon as I saw the word pastor, it's like one man's sin becomes all our sins. But we don't do that in any other area of life. And so I believe that the scandals that have happened over the last even few years is a good thing. And just let me just run through some things I wrote on my phone the other day as it came into my mind. How should we respond? We should remind ourselves that Christianity is personal. It's an individual Christianity. We're not responsible for the sin of others. Sin in the church will not hinder the growth of the church. We win. When Jesus said, I'll build my church, he didn't say, listen, if you stuff this up, I might hand it all over to the Muslims. I'll hand it over to the Hindus. No, Jesus Christ died for the whole world, said he would build the church and the sins in the church have never stopped the growth of the church. We are about, I'm prophesying now, we're about to see the greatest growth the church has ever seen in people coming home that used to walk with Jesus. There are people even during COVID that stopped coming to church and now they're embarrassed to come back. And our job is not to point the finger, but to open our arms and say, welcome home. You know, there's always a place for you to come home and we're going to see the greatest coming home than we've seen for a long time in the next 12 months or so. Jesus is building this church. The sins of others is not an excuse for our sinning. Do you know how many people go, well, if they can stuff up, then don't pick on me. What I do is not as bad as that. You know, the sins of others is not an excuse for our sinning. We're not meant to walk away from our obedience to support the disobedience of others. Exposed sin in the church is an opportunity to get rid of infection. I have to have an operation next Wednesday because some infection in my foot. I'm glad they're going to cut the stuff away or I'd be in trouble. And I believe right now, not everybody will understand this statement, but God is raising up fathers in the faith again apostolic leaders who come with correction and protection to stop infection with a heart of affection. That's what I believe is coming. We don't need talk. Yeah, come on, thank you. God bless you. We don't need nice talks for the sake of a talk. We need dads, and, and I, thank you, I thank God for the parenting spirit in this house. I wish I could tell you some of the things that are happening behind the scenes with uh, life and, and, and the things that are in place so we protect one another. We've had some amazing staff meetings talking about discipleship and what it looks like. Why? Because we're not here to build celebrity culture. We don't want to build a celebrity culture. We want to see the body of Christ. Become, But we need fathers that bring affection, correction, protection to stop infection. Exposed sin must also um, help us to help others. You know, the Bible tells us that when people fall, we need to help one another. For lack of time, I'll just read it out of the message. The book of Jude, the last book before the, end of, uh, before the book of Revelation. It says in verse 20, Go easy on those who hesitate in their faith. Go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sinners, but not soft on sin. The sin itself stinks to high heaven. That's the message Bible. 
And in the book of Jude, if I had time today, it says in verse 20, at the end of the book of Jude, it says, God's able to keep us from falling. Unto him who is able to keep us from slipping and falling away. And then in verse 20 says, but stay always within the boundaries where God's love can reach you. Not his discipline, his love. Because he's our mentor. He wants us to go down the right track in life. Celebrity culture is not the way of the future. Jesus called himself a servant more than any other title. Honouring leaders does not mean blind loyalty. God's definition of success is not image and man-made achievements. The Bible says if a man comes in all dressed up with all the latest and you put him on the front row and a guy comes in the back door and he's got holes in his clothes and he's been on the streets and you make a big fuss of the guy with all the jewellery and you ignore the guy that's just come in, that's not Christianity at all. And Western Christianity has done the opposite of what the Bible teaches. If you're cool and you've got a gift, we won't even care about your character. And so people with gifts are standing on stages and then when stuff hits the wall, they go to the newspaper and go, we were abused. And that's because people weren't walking with Jesus. Some of the people in the latest reports that I've been reading over the last few weeks are saying, we're not even believers in God anymore. I don't think you were a believer in God in the first place. You were a believer in what the church gave you to do as an opportunity to show your gift. I know this, I hope this is okay this morning, but I believe we're getting to a place where God is building the church with great sense of girding us and loving us. God doesn't want us to build our empires. For 10 years, for 10 years, I've been saying this, you know, we got to be careful that our labels don't become Babel's. The Tower of Babel said, let's make our name great. Now, the thing is, they did amazing things. God had to smash it before it got too big and too awesome in their own eyes. So the Bible says pride comes before a fall. If pride's got nothing to be proud about, pride's only there because there's success. And we've had success in church world at times around the world in the Western church it's been measured by how many bums on seats, how many buildings we own. And all those things are necessary in their right place. So understand that. I'm not, I can't wait till we get this building. We need to pray or whatever building God has. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But it's the priority and the why behind the what. And God is building His kingdom now. And it's absolutely fantastic. So... I'm going to leave some things out. But one of the other things, very quickly, is this. When God cleans the church and we come to a place of repentance, oh, the joy. Listen to Psalm 32. David commits adultery with his mate's wife, gets his mate killed. I mean, this is some horrendous story and the Bible doesn't hide it. And in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 are the stories of David's putting it right. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put away. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long and night with your hand of discipline on me. My strength evaporated like water. 
But I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. I'll leave it there. Now, I have to say this to you this morning in brief. I've got three minutes. God expects more from His leaders. Yes, He expects a lot more from us as Christians in our response to His loving help of our lives to take us forward. But there is an expectation for leaders. And in James chapter 3, verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. I see some young people that put their hand up. I want to be in ministry. I want to be in ministry. Why? Because we will be judged more strictly. And so in 1 Timothy 3, without reading it, a leader must be above reproach, faithful in marriage, self-control, wisdom, a good reputation, hospitable, able to teach. Preach and teach in the New Testament are often the same word. Not heavy drinkers, not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome, not love money, respected by people outside the church. I've said this over and over again. This is the time of sift, shift and lift. God is sifting, not because He hates us, He loves us because He wants to shift us. Now, I'm so grateful for Life Adelaide because this church has not been exposed to some of the stuff I see. You have never been exposed. And Pastor Tony and Pastor Kath have never been exposed to some of the things I see around the world because I've been involved in the many years of being on the road. And I want to tell you, these qualifications of a leader are not in all leaders because their image and their ability to be entrepreneurial and their ability to build big empires is the reason why people think they're great. But the Bible decides what's great. And so this morning, I want to finish with just these words. I was on a way to a prayer meeting 11 years ago. On the way to the prayer meeting, I was bawling my eyes out because I was going to a prayer meeting where we were going to pray for the sick, but there was a part of me that go, I don't know how many are going to get healed. I was actually being honest and saying, we pray for so many and we heard today of a great healing and that's fantastic and we need so much more. But I said to Jesus in the car, I said, Jesus, you went to your own town in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 6 and you couldn't do miracles because of the people's unbelief. Is there anything we could be doing that's stopping you from doing great things? Is there anything we're doing, Jesus, that's getting in the way? I submit to you what came into my head. Humility, hunger, honour, holiness, and a heart for the broken. And I wrote it down on a pad I had in my pocket. I pulled over on the side of the road. And I prophesy, and what I mean by prophesy is I speak forth what God, I believe, is saying right now. It's time for humility. For the whole church around the world to humble ourselves. Go, God, we're nothing without you. Without you being in our lives, we can't do this. And have a hunger for that. A hunger for that. And then we need to honour everybody, not just people above us and people who've achieved things. Honour the poor. Honour the hurting. Honour those that are struggling. And then to have a heart for the broken. I love being in this house. And one of the reasons is I've been released to be able to stand with people that are hurting.
This is not a house of judgment. We don't stand in judgment. But we should make available to people the better way of not just justification, but sanctification. Let me close with this. I wish I could tell you the story behind it, but I can't. 15 years ago, I saw a picture of the three eras of the church. The first era, I've lived through all of them. The first era is the era of law and legalism. When I was a kid, you had to obey the rules. You don't wear this to church. You're not allowed to have holes in your jeans. You're not allowed to do this. Otherwise, God won't be... And it was law and rules and regulations and legalism. In the 70s, I saw the message of God's grace, unfortunately, lead to liberalism and licence. Where people could just do whatever they like. Hey, I just do my own thing, man. And Jesus doesn't make any difference in your life. Swear like crazy at work and tell dirty jokes. There's no uh uh-uh. And so what came as a liberal grace of God thing that was good ended up in license. And then the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, before I return, I'm doing my third era in the church, which is love and lordship. Love and lordship. See, lordship isn't harsh. Lordship is sweet and embracing. I love That Jesus is my Lord. He doesn't, he's not a control freak. He sets me free from the things I don't need in my life and fills me with the things I do need. And I want us to sing that song again this morning. But can I turn this whole room into an altar call right now? And you might want to stand, you might want to kneel, you might want to come down the front. But can we make that song? And by the way, I had no idea they were going to do it. I had no idea. Thank you, team, for not just putting a roster together, but putting songs together that are led by the Holy Spirit. Do whatever you want to do. You might want to stay sitting, but I want to close this part by us making that song, the resurrender, our prayer, because I want to tell you, the church isn't perfect. It never will be, but God is, and He's awesome, and our surrender to Him will take us on a journey. Thank you, guys. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life, and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.